Chris, you just move too much. <laughs> okay. He 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 said he was going to hook me up with something because I got the recorder in my pocket and I move too much and it makes too much noise on the on the recording. He said I'm going to give you something to put on your ear. Now that would be cute for me to wear something on my ear. But anyway, we'll see how all this works. Okay, forgive me for the interlude there. Okay, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Paul's very specific in what he prayed that he wanted them to do. <clears throat> then he picks up in, chapter, in verse 19, and that's where we start our lesson today. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. We've said many times that from Genesis 1.1, to the very end of Revelation, the theme of the entire Bible is redemption through Jesus. Redemption through Jesus is the whole context of everything we have in Scripture. From the very beginning, it was to redeem mankind through His only begotten Son. That's, that's all that the Bible is. <clears throat> but it's taken us years and, and time to get where we are. So in verse 19 he says, What is the surpassing greatness of his power? But he didn't stop there. He said, Towards us who believe. Towards us who believe. I passed out a thing from uh, it's uh, Jonathan Edwards does Jonathan Edwards mean, mean anything to you? <clears throat> Jonathan Edwards was a part of the Great Awakening uh, he lived from 1703 to 1758 and he was uh, a very important fixture in the early part of our country, and especially in the early uh, Christian uh, movement. Um, his, he was the grandfather of Aaron Burr, who was a president, vice president of the United States. But he, he preached, he preached like the old Baptist did, hellfire and damnation, you know. He preached, and that's what he was known for. 
but he was a very, very prolific writer. Uh, the guy who wrote this this uh, this thing that I have, and I give him credit at the at the back there. He said, "For many of us, Jonathan Edwards is a skinny guy who never smiled except when he talked about hell. He wrote a lot of dense books. He talked about a lot of the glory of God, and he was a part of the Great Awakening." Okay. Power. Paul said, I want you to know about the power that you have as a believer. The power you have as a believer. I just want to run through some of these things that he's got here. Number one, if you are a Christian and you don't now radically... Art, did you get one? Okay. If you're a Christian and you don't realize how radically different and freshly empowered you are, we live way below our privilege. What have we said? God is our Father, He's our Daddy. There's not a dad in here. It wouldn't give his life for his children. And that, that's the very same way. We have a big brother. And our big brother is Jesus. And we have access to everything, all the power that he had. And he had the ultimate power. He raised others from the dead and he raised himself. That's the ultimate in power. We live below our privilege. And what Jonathan Edwards said here, if you don't realize how radically different and freshly empowered you are, you need to. Look the third paragraph down. It starts with Edwards teaches. He teaches us that the quite seemingly innocuous change that takes place in the new birth of his internal even cosmic significance. A fallen sinner has just become an invincible heir of the universe. Skip down to the next paragraph. For a Christian to wallow in sin and misery is for a butterfly to crawl miserably along the branch as if it were still a caterpillar. We've all heard the little thing. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms. We all have pity parties from time to time. Is that me? I I thought I shut this thing up. That's a... I got an email. (laughs) Anyway. So... We, we, need to, we need to understand uh, where we are. The devil can take a phone. <laughs> okay. All right. Number two. Even if you are a Christian, you don't realize how radically fallen and blindly dysfunctional you remain. 
most of us realize we're sinners. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Unbroken. Uh, it's about uh, a World War II story of survival. But the end of the story is that this World War II survivor was saved at a Billy Graham crusade and lived for the Lord the rest of his life. Fox News has put out a thing last night that uh, I Franklin moderated. But if you see it coming up, see it. But one thing was very evident with him. He says, I'm a broken man. And we all are. We're all broken. Sometimes we focus more on the brokenness than what God can do for us. And uh, he says there, the first paragraph says, If we understand the positive change in a new birth, we also tend to understate the fallenness that still remains. Last week I drew these boxes up on the board. We talked about what the Holy Spirit had not done in our hearts and what we keep for ourselves. We understand our own fallenness. But we need to understand that Christ can give us victory through anything we have. <clears throat> Baptists are very proud in the fact of part of the thing that we teach is once saved, always saved. I taught an adult class in our church in Greenville and I had a precious lady in that class. And every time I went there, she would come to me. She said, Bill, she has wrestled with the idea of the Lord forgiving her for all her adult life. That's a miserable place to be. She was a sweet lady. But every time she thought about what she had done, she said, God can't forgive me. But He can, and He will. And that's the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We've talked about the scapegoat being led about out in the wilderness for the sins of the people. But Hebrews tells us that what that scapegoat couldn't do, Jesus could do. Because what did He do? He cleansed our conscience. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for what that is. Okay, let's look at the next paragraph there. Uh, <clears throat> Edward spoke frequently, for example, of the lurking dangers of pride. It is a sin that has, as it were, many lives. If you kill it, it lives still. If you suppress it in one shape, it rises to another. Pride's that way. But a lot of things are that way. The devil has two trump cards that he loves to play on us. One is guilt. Oh, Bill, you remember. You remember guilt. The other one is fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of where we are. Fear of where we're going. God is greater than any fear and any guilt we have when we come to Him confessing that and asking His forgiveness. Okay, down to three. The authentic disciple to Jesus Christ 
calm and gentilizes Christians. The very last, turn the page, the very last sentence in that particular thing was, radical godliness is not, godliness, excuse me, is not obnoxious, showy, or boisterous. It is quiet, gentle, and serene. I confessed to you last week that there's some Christians I don't love. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But this thing of being you can be right. But you don't have to say it. <laughs> you need to, as Jesus said, you can be truth, but you need to couple it with grace. I don't want to be an ugly, mean old man. I don't. I don't want to be that grouch when you go into town. This is a town of 600 sweet people and one old grouch. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. Number four. Christianity is gain and only gain. Look at the third paragraph. The glorious excellences of the beauty and beauty of God will be that will forever in, entertain the minds of the saints. And the love of God will be their everlasting feast. The redeemed will indeed enjoy other things. They will enjoy the angels. They will enjoy one another. But that which they shall also enjoy in angels or in each other or in anything else whatsoever that yields them delight and happiness, happiness will be what shall be seen of God in them. Christians leave nothing behind when they die. All is gain. This Christmas season, we've, we've got letters, and we wrote one, and, and we were grateful for the year. And we go back and we thank God for our blessings, and it's the same thing we heard from people. It seems that at this time of the year, we, we have, a, we have a, this kinder, gentler spirit and we wanna, we wanna go back to the things that matter. This one of the news articles I click on says all the celebrities we had lost this year, and most all of the actors that we had lost, we had lost, and those are important people to some people. All those people that they lost, lost to a drug habit, lost to alcohol, they weren't happy with themselves. We all know that money can't get it. We, we see these stories about the lottery winners. Very, very few lottery winners 
number one, have anything left. And they're not happy. And then we look around all these things. Justin Bieber, I don't know who the guy is outside of knowing his name. He bought for himself for Christmas a $20 million airplane. That's not where it is. And we know that's not where it is. What we have in the Lord Jesus is everything. Everything is gain. Everything was gain. We get so tied up with all these little things that we need to do. All of the Monday morning things. All of the things that are important to somebody. When it all boils down, it's not important at all. It's not important at all. What's going to happen Monday morning if you don't get to work? What's going to happen? If you don't ever come back, somebody's going to pick up the pie. 30 days, they won't know who you are. That kind of bothers me sometimes. <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's the truth. It's the truth. Things are kick on keeping. But he says, Christians leave nothing behind when they die. It's all gain. Revival. He talks about that here. Revival is not what you think it is. We don't do revivals anymore. Our pastor in Greenville, Velta, asked him one day, said, Ralph, why don't we do revivals? He had a short answer. He says, they don't work. They don't work. People don't attend. They're sitting there, but they don't hear. They don't work. The very last thing down there, he says, simply put, revival isn't weird. True revival is dehumanizing. It re-centralizes not on the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit so much as the ordinary fruit of the Spirit. We went through that in Galatians. Love, joy, peace. Those things is when real revival is. Real revival is. Power. Go back to verse 18. That the eyes of your heart, we talked about this last week, that you may know what the hope of His calling. The hope of His calling. What did we say about hope? Go back to page 4. Uh, page Verse 14, He's given us this pledge, which is the Holy Spirit, which is our inheritance. The pledge of our inheritance, which is the Holy Spirit. The hope. Hope is a beautiful word. When Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about the resurrection, 
He said, if you hope only in this life, King James says, you are all men most miserable. If you only hope in this life, you are all men most miserable. But hope is one of these things, you know, faith, hope, love. We hope. And he says, what is the hope of his calling? What is the hope of his calling? And what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints? So, this lesson is hope, riches, and power. And as Jonathan Edwards put, our power is enormous if we'll claim it for ourselves. Now, what is Thursday? New Year's. A new year. I don't have any ambitions of losing another 25 pounds, maybe. (laughs) We'll see. Our church, we got a new pastor coming. He wants us to read the Bible through. That's a good thing. Bert encouraged it last year. But what does it depend on? It depends on us. It depends on us being faithful. I would like for us all to be more faithful. More faithful to reading. More faithful to witnessing. More faithful to encourage one another. More faithful to be here in church. You know, we, we can always find excuses. We can always find something else to do. But Monday morning, what happens? We go to work. Except me and you, Bob. We go to work. And it doesn't matter what's going on. We don't feel good. It's raining. You know, all these things. We go to work. We need to come here. I need to see you. I need to love on you. We need to be faithful to what we know. We need to be our Bible, read our Bible. We need to be aware of, of what's going on around us. There was a girl at home posted on Facebook this week. Her anniversary was Christmas and they'd been married 48 years. And she went and it was a lovely post about she had been in the far country. And she was drawn, had been, when she and her husband got married and they they had two precious children and they were doing things that they shouldn't do and they were, and one day, she looked in her rearview mirrors. She was going across town to do something. And she says, I'm taking my two precious children to a pig pen. Pig, pig pen. Someplace she shouldn't be. 
And she said, I vowed right then to change. And God, through him, through the blood of Jesus, she changed. Their marriage was saved. They'd been married 48 years, and it was a beautiful testimony of what, what had happened. We knew her. Velta was part of that redemptive thing. But we heard about it 48 years later. I've given you a little sheet here. Jan and Bill Green were songwriters. They came out of the 60s singing that type thing. In 1975, they got saved. And what do saved songwriters do? They wrote songs about their newfound faith. And one of them she wrote was Bread on the Water. In 1977, the Imperials, in an album called Sail On, do you still have it? probably do they this was a hit with the Imperials at that time I'd like for you to look at a couple of lines in this song well there are people who think they're not receiving anything from God at all they are shaken from their believing. And when they don't see results, they quickly fall. That's part of the curse of our society today. We want everything now. I pull up to the McDonald's window and if my biscuit's not ready when I think it needs to be ready, I wind up having to confess that too. But we're in, we're in this, we want it now. We want it now. Sometimes it might be 48 years down the road before you know what happens. When they don't see results, they quickly fall. But don't you waver. You keep on living in the way God wants you to. Don't get discouraged. Keep on giving. Soon it will come back to you. We need to continue to do what we know to do. We need to be faithful to what we know to do. In this new year, with a new pastor, with a new resolve, we need to buckle up. And keep on keeping on, realizing that in due time, God will give us the victory. All right, let's play this little song.
Keep on.